Good morning. I'm Harrison Peacock, and I am a covenant partner here at First Pres. This morning, we will continue worship by studying Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 34, where we will see God is sovereign over our sharing the love and grace of Jesus with others. Sometimes God puts us in prisons so we can proclaim his grace. Other times, our problems and pain are given so we can pronounce God's goodness to a world looking for hope. God is sovereign over our sharing. Let us worship him by studying his word. Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 34. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God. Amen. Thanks, Harrison. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, these guys stepping up on Saturday, Sunday morning to serve. We're really grateful for that. Um, and I got to tell you something. Uh, God's got a word for somebody in here. And almost every time I have as many distractions and things not working out, how I uh, have planned them to work out on a morning like today, it's because my mind is uh, being deluded by uh, the enemy uh, and, and, and somebody needs to hear something. Usually that's what it is. And so here's how I want to start. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, God's got a word for you today. Can you do that? Okay, thank you. So I hope that everybody was able, at least every household is able to get one of these cards. Uh, if you weren't, we should have more of them. If we ran out, then, uh, then you can write on your little pad. We have lots of pens. We're going to walk through these. Um, one way that I was going to do it is on my iPad, but guess what? Technology didn't work. Uh, today. Imagine that. Uh, you might say, Mitchell, that's not spiritual warfare. That's because you don't know how to work technology. And you might be right. But when I got Bob Eskenazi and it's not working, something's going on. So here's the real question, the driving question today, is how do you interpret 
your pain, your problems, the pain of this world and the problems of this world using the category of a prison, how do you interpret the prisons, the pain and the problems of your life? Uh, Not a week goes by where I don't talk to multiple people who, to use the figurative language of a prison, are in the prison of finances or relational difficulties, uh, different addictions or substance abuses, uh, situations maybe at work that, (laughs) that feel like a prison or different pain and problems in our life or toxic personalities or people or our own selves that, that control or have an ungodly ambition that sees people as obstacles and you've been run over. All of us wrestle with these realities. And in Christ, we have an opportunity to reframe through the power of his resurrection and redeem the prisons of our life, the pain and the problems, and see them as platforms for our proclamation. That in God's sovereignty, he is shaping us through our struggles and our suffering so that we can share about his character, his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. There is an eternity, and our struggles now are not the end of the story. The problem is that many of us, when we're going through pain or problems or we're in different prisons of our lives, uh, we actually turn to things that, that fuel and feed our anxieties, our idolatries, and even our worst ways, those sin struggles that we wish were just gone, that actually deepen us into prison. Places that we look for hope, places that we look for healing, actually hurt us more. The power of the gospel invites us through the person of Jesus into a new reality. I don't know if you noticed this when Harrison read the passage, but the only people who were actually free in the narrative were Paul and Silas, the ones who were prisoners in bondage. How do we get, how do we obtain, how do we find that kind of freedom that when our circumstances totally stink, we still see our purpose and opportunity to share. So we're going to open in prayer, but before we do, I want you to do something. All right, maybe you have a pen, maybe you don't. I hope you do. I want to ask you to consider the place of your greatest pain. I want to ask you to consider and to think about your biggest problem. I'm not going to ask anyone to share it out loud, so don't worry. But I want you to be honest with it. Maybe it's a relational situation, a financial situation. Maybe it's other Maybe it's an addiction or a struggle. What's the prison of your life? And as we pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask the Holy Spirit to redeem that, okay? I'm telling you, God has a word for you today, and I don't want you to miss it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the gospel. I ask King Jesus that you would help us to reframe our prison places, our pain, and our problems, and to see them as platforms. Lord, we want to be free from the anxiety. We want to be free 
uh, from the control. We want to be free from the idols of our heart, and we want to fully know you and serve you. Would you work that in us? And I ask in this moment of silence, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see where we need to be free. And now I ask, Lord, that you would speak and use your word to help us know Christ freshly and that the power of the gospel would move us from bondage to freedom so that we can be witnesses to your light and love no matter where we are in life. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Okay, so if you have a card, I'm hoping that you take a moment to write what the Spirit put on your heart, what is on your heart. Just write it here and the middle of the, uh, on the front side, it's a two-sided card. This is a tool that we've been through in the past. Uh, when we looked at John 11 in particular, we talked about how the resurrection reframes reality. It's a tool I walk with and people sometimes with counseling, and it's a tool that I use in my own life regularly. I don't use the card anymore uh, because I, I use it so much, but it's something that I hope empowers you. So uh, Paul and Silas, they're in prison. Uh, they get put in prison, and we're going to unpack uh, that a little bit, but I want you to know that this isn't the first time that the apostles or disciples have been in prison in the, new, in the, in the book of Acts. This is the third time. It has happened before, and it's going to happen again. The book of Acts actually ends with Paul in prison. He is in chains in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. He's very clear, I am in chains, but the word of God is unbound. Somehow there's a greater reality than our personal situations, even if it is in prison, that the gospel frees us to see how God will use and he wants to use us in those places. Uh, it's an amazing thing that God does, um, but he does it. And a lot of the New Testament was written from prison. Uh, Paul wrote several epistles from prison in the book of, uh, of the New Testament the uh, scriptures itself end from prison. The apostle John is exiled in prison on the Isle of Patmos, and he gives us this vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, the gospel alone is what gives us this opportunity to reframe reality and to have a, a, a greater eternal perspective. And it gives us power uh, and, and, and to, be, to see things as a new purpose. And, and we don't have this as a slide on there, but you can see how one of the letters that Paul wrote from prison uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4, 11b to 12, he says, look, I've learned in whatever situation that I can be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and, and in need. This level of contentedness that Paul writes from prison comes from knowing Christ personally. Now it is Reformation Sunday. And we celebrate that over 500 years of the Reformation. And one catalyst to the Reformation was actually prison. I don't know if you know this, but not only the New Testament, but all through the Old Testament and all of history. Uh, Martin Luther, in May 1521 to 1522, uh, March 1522, he was in, uh, from Frederick III, he was elector of Saxony. He was in the Wartburg Castle. And he was there in this castle, in a tower, unable to leave. He wasn't in prison in the sense that he had done something wrong. He, he would be in a lot of trouble. Uh, but he was totally confined. And in that place of total confinement, where he didn't have any communication with the outside, he couldn't leave, he ended up translating the New Testament from Latin into the common vernacular of his country of German. And that transformed, was a massive catalyst 
for the Reformation to have. We could go all through history. John Bunyan, one of the most famous works of Scripture of all time, uh, outside of Scripture of all time, is called Pilgrim's Progress. And that is an allegorical story. It's phenomenal. If you haven't read it, please take time to do so. But John Bunyan was in prison for 12 years because of his preaching. And while he was in prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, which, like I said, is one of the most influential works outside of Scripture in history. And this is All Saints Day. And All Saints Day is something we carry down from the Reformation. I'll spare you the history of it, but it's, it's the day where we remember that all, of our, all the people that this year died in the Lord. And we have had some heavy losses this year. We've lost parents. We've lost spouses. We've lost brothers and siblings. Uh, we've lost friends. We have had a heavy, heavy year. In All Saints Day, we remember that the prison of death, it's not the end of the story. It's actually a, actually a proclamation of life. That when we die in Christ, it's not the end. It's a new beginning for all of eternity. This actually is the centerpiece of all that we believe as Christians. And it's why we can grieve in a broken world when we lose loved ones, but we can grieve with hope because we know Jesus has risen from the grave. And this has tremendous implications as we look at all of life. And Paul and Silas, they knew these realities. So we're going to walk through their mentality. Then we're going to Cut, we're going to cut the cord and, and be honest with our reality, how we normally react. Then we're going to return to how the resurrection really changes things, and we're going to walk through this card. The first thing that happens, uh, we, we see that, is that Paul and Silas were put in prison in Philippi. Okay, now we're getting ready to use our card, but you can see in verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates. They tore the garments off them. They beat them with rods. They inflicted them with many blows. Like this is a bad day for Paul and Silas. They were ordered by the jailer to go into the prison and they put them, it says, in the inner prison and they fastened their feet in stocks. Now, it is really popular for people to say, you know, when bad things happen to me, I don't deserve this. And the first thing that I would put on this card in the upper right quadrant is pity. We begin to say, I, I don't deserve to have my life go this way. I, I, God must be mad at me if things are this difficult and this frustrating, Right? And it's really, really interesting because when we look at Paul and Silas, what put them in prison? What led them to be beat? What led them to be taken to the inner cell and to have chains put on them? Well, you know what it was? They had actually proclaimed the gospel to Lydia right before this. Her and her household had come to, come to Christ and were baptized. And then there was a slave girl who was being trafficked for her ability to be, uh, for divination. And they freed her from a demon. And because those people couldn't make any more money off of her, then they had them brought up in charges. And you can study like the way that things happened in Philippi and the judicial system. It actually lines up exactly right. And because they had done something well, right, good, they were beat, flogged, thrown in prison and put in shackles. And if you're like me, you're quickly going, hey, God, what did I do to deserve this? I thought you were good, God. Like, where are you? What are you doing? And 
Well, we're going to see that that's not what they do at all. They don't have pity. But then we, they go to this next slide. I mean, this is unbelievable to me. At the end of verse 24. They were put in the inner prison and fastened in stocks. Now, if you're like me and you start from that place of pity, then, then the next place you normally go is, I'm stuck, right? There's nothing I can do about this. Paul and Silas, their arms are here. I mean, think about your, your most difficult situation, what you put in this circle. When you're honest, you know what you will say? I, I can't do anything about this. I have no control over this. I'm absolutely stuck. And the cycle gets really difficult and we're going to radically depart from Paul and Silas. We're going to see it at this point. Because what happens in the heart when the flesh of our heart is taking over and the sin of our lives is winning the struggle in our sanctification is that we move from this place of self-pity and feeling stuck and we go to what is next that is just really difficult. You see it put on the screen. We begin to cope. Well, we don't want to feel the pain. We don't want to feel stuck. So we act out in control. We try to give ourselves some sense of ambition and accomplishment. Uh, we medicate through certain things in certain ways. We isolate ourselves. Sometimes we cope to make ourselves feel better by talking negatively about other people. Rarely in our own humanity when we're left on our own, do we spend time actually being healthy when we feel stuck and that starts with self-pity. And then you know what happens? We start complaining. We start complaining about people. We start complaining about life and we get bitter. We get bitter at our circumstances. We get bitter at our friends that don't like us and don't talk to us. We get bitter at our bosses. We get bitter at our family. We get bitter at our neighbors. We get bitter at the world. And I tell you what, if these people don't change, my life's not going to get better and it's everybody's problem. Do I have a table for one? Is this just me? It's like that happens all the time, almost daily right here. And our life is marked with regret. If this person hadn't done this, if this thing hadn't happened, if this... Was he cussing? Listen, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. (laughs) But you know the point. Your heart been that place? So how does God redeem this? It's really amazing what we see. And if you had time, I hope you make it... I hope that, like me, you take time to write ways down that you, you show yourself pity. Oh, God, I can't wait. I hope you take time to write down ways you're stuck. I hope you take time to write down the ways you cope, the worst ways, especially if you ever want to redeem those worst ways. And I really, really hope you write down things that you can uh, change about your complaining. The gospel frees us to do this, but more than that, the gospel transforms our prisons into platforms. Are you ready for this? It's so crazy. Because Paul and Silas, when they go into prison, they don't have pity. They don't have self-pity. You know what they see? They see God is sovereign. They see God's sovereignty. What transforms our prisons and our our pain and our problems to, to a place where we proclaim first is that God is sovereign. 
We change what we say from, I don't deserve this to, you know what? God has sovereignly put me here. And he's done it by one of two ways. Maybe it was like Joseph, where God gave total direction for him to be sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely and unjustly accused by Potiphar's wife to put in prison for two years before he went up to the palace of Pharaoh. And he was able to forgive his brothers and to say, what the enemy intended for evil, God meant for good. God is sovereign. Maybe he was sovereign indirectly like Job. You know, Job suffered because he was righteous. Go back and read Job 1. How did Job enter into so much suffering? Man, maybe suffering more than anyone else has in the history of the world. Well, when you read it, you see it's because God gave Satan permission. Unbelievable. God is sovereign over everything. And Paul and Silas and Mitchell and you, whoever you are and wherever you are, you are where God has put you. And this pain, this prison, this problem that you put on one side, it'll be transformed into a platform when you understand that God is sovereign. You're not there by accident. He's not so busy with what's going on in North Korea or Russia, Ukraine, that he's forgotten about you. And that security in God's sovereignty, it changes our feeling trapped. You know what it changes it into? I love the language of Psalm 139.5, that you are secure. You're hemmed in behind and before. That God's sovereignty gives you such security that Paul says in Romans 8, that God is for you. Who can be against you? No one and no thing can separate you from God's love in Christ. Nothing. You are totally secure. No matter what happens in God's love, you can't be harmed beyond God's, I mean, even to death. Like what did Paul say? If he, if he were to die, it was what? Gain. If he's to live, it's to what? Christ. And he didn't have bitterness for the people who beat him and put him in prison. Why? Because he was secure in God's love. He knew he used to be a persecutor. God forgave him. He was patient for him. And so he saw this imprisonment as an opportunity to be on a platform. So he saw God's sovereignty. He was secure, hemmed in behind him before. And then what do they do? Do they cope? Nope. They sing and they pray. Could you imagine being shackled up in the inner cell, dark and wet, and you are singing and praying so much so that it is a witness to Now, what would happen in your life if people who knew the pain that you're going through, the struggle that you had, the, the, the frustrations, the anxiety, whatever it is, if you were singing of God's glory, if you were singing and praying and praising him, that's the beginning of witness. Somebody that is bigger than their circumstances, that can see beyond their burdens and understanding that that can be a platform for blessing. It only happens when the love of God touches us so deeply that our new hearts in Christ are secure in the steadfast and covenant love of the Lord. That is power. And God puts us in prisons and God gives us problems so that we can be secure in his sovereign love and sing. And that turns it into sharing. 
Lots of P's and S's in this sermon, Mitchell. Yes, there are. You're okay. I want you to move from I'm stuck to I'm secure. I want you to move from coping to singing. And you know what? I, I'll tell you, uh, some of y'all in this room, a lot of folks, a lot, like I, I talk with people that are struggling with relationship issues. Um, and I oftentimes prescribe worship music. <laughs> it's like, man, you need to sing more. Like you need to play worship in your house. You want to break this cycle of like constantly fighting with people? Like you want to break a cycle of treating a coworker just horribly? How about before you go see him, sing a few worship songs on your way. Let the word of God through the worship of God saturate your heart with the spirit of God. That's a chain. That's, that's a great, it's not coping. It's singing in our struggles. And that becomes a, becomes a catalyst for witness uh, for us to do this. It turns our complaining into proclaiming. And frankly, it breaks this nasty cycle that's harmful to everyone. Paul and Silas were freed. They start, they start singing. I want to read this again because uh, it's so unbelievable to me. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons were shaking and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke up. He had been sleeping. He uh, saw that the prison doors were open. He drew a sword. He was going to kill himself, supposing that they had all escaped. But Paul cried out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. <laughs> now this is unique. Twice angels have freed prisoners in Acts and twice those prisoners have left. They went, yeah, they were free, but this time they stayed. Why is that? Because they saw their prison as a platform to witness. You don't believe me? Here's what Paul says in Philippians 1, 12 to 14. I want you to know, brothers, he's writing this from the prison of Philippi. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He was using it to share the gospel with other prisoners, to share the gospel with the jailers. And he stays in prison. They stay in prison because they see their imprisonment as a platform for testifying. Mitchell, what do I testify to? Do you have any idea how difficult my life is? How hard it is? What I wrote in this circle, Mitchell, do you know you insensitive pastor? No, I don't know. And I'm not going to pretend to know. But here's what I do know. That our struggles are short term. And that God's character is long term. It doesn't stay. He doesn't change. His love, it never fails. His faithfulness, it never ends. His goodness goes on forever. You can proclaim his goodness from your pain and that will be a witness to the world that people are longing to see. You know if you belong to Christ, God has the power to save. And in your pain and in your problems and my pain and my problems, to trust the salvation of Jesus so much so that I can talk about the real life grief of my heart and also say, I know it's not the end of the story because Jesus has conquered death. Because Jesus promises he's working all things for my good and his glory. Jesus has promised me that he is storing up in eternity a reality that I can't comprehend today. 
Surely we can be honest with our pain and celebrate God's promises. Can't we? Yes. That was a pregnant pause. God's got the power to save. And here's another thing. With unchanging character and unbound power that's eternal to redeem all that he has allowed, we can say in our witness and our proclamation, I may not understand it, but I know God has a plan. And I know God has a purpose. And I know he's working glory. And the invitation is for us to just believe. And that's where this passage ends. The jailer sees the witness, the the proclamation that comes from the imprisonment. And he says, what must I do to be saved? You believe. You believe that the life that Jesus lived and his choice to suffer for you, (laughs) that he himself was imprisoned falsely, he himself was beaten worse than with rods and whips like these guys were. He was flogged to the point of death. He himself went into the prison of the grave and he emerged victoriously so that all who believe in him can have this freedom. And we can see how our struggles and our situations are just vehicles and tools. Believe and you'll be saved. Believe in Jesus' work. Believe in God's amazing love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Believe in his resurrection and let that power reframe your reality. Friends, this tool is no joke. The problem is that we allow ourselves to get caught in these cycles that end in complaining and bitterness and just start over the self-pity. And the way that that changes is that we allow the resurrection reality of the Lord Jesus Christ to intercept, intervene, and begin to redeem. And we trust him, and we watch him turn our places of pain and problems into pointed witnesses of proclamation for his glory. That's the invitation for all of us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray for all that I said that was off, outside, distracting, that it would be forgotten And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would leave an enduring mark of our hearts of the power of the gospel. Lord, we don't just want to be inspired. We want to be transformed. We want to be faithful. And in this world, we know we have troubles, but you've overcome this world. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would please redeem our hearts and our minds, that we could worship you fully, fruitfully, and faithfully. Lord, for my friends in here, that are struggling with pain and problems beyond comprehension. Would you meet them freshly? And Holy Spirit, help them to have wisdom in how you want to not only redeem what you've allowed, but to use it to bring redemption to others. For my friends that are in here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, they don't believe, but they long to be free. Would you help them to trust? You're a bondage breaker. Lord Jesus, give freedom in your name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.